We thank you, Lord, for all the things we've learned and been encouraged by this morning already. And we do pray you would continue to teach us to live your way in your world. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, one of the things that I love in a sort of ironic way is the, like, tat that Christians love producing. It's like they, uh, they get bored and so have to produce Christian tat. So many examples when I was Googling for this this week. I could have talked to you about it all day. I like this one. A toilet seat that says, let my people go. <laughs> Presumably that means to the toilet. Um, and it has Hebrew on it. I love this one particularly. These are flip-flops. You might not be able to see. But as you walk along the beach, they leave an imprint in the sand saying, Jesus loves you. I like that. So it's like, Jesus loves you. I don't. I'm even not going to speak to you. You have to walk behind me. But anyway, once I was given a Bible, and it had this written on the front. Bible as a sort of acrostic down the side, and what it contains, basic instructions before leaving earth. Now that is wrong. (laughs) Uh, I just want to say... Uh, that leads to all sorts of bad implications. If what God is interested in giving us in the Bible is just a few things to do before he sort of beams us up to, the, to somewhere better. That's not what the Bible is. And someone who thinks that's what it is hasn't read these books that we're looking at over these next few weeks, these books that are called wisdom books, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes. They say, yes, God is in the process of recreating this world and there's better to come, But how we live now really matters to God. There's a difference to be made in this world now. And God is delighted to help us live well in this world. And so last week we saw in Proverbs chapter 1 this thing called wisdom. The picture of it is uh, of God taking our hand as a father and a child and walking us through the world that he's made saying, look, Here's how to understand it. I made it. Here's how to live in it. And we saw there is really um, a few questions that we ask to live in this way that brings blessing, righteousness, goodness into this creation now. There is a wise way to live, which there is a negative to that, which means uh, if you don't live that way, you're going to feel the repercussions. Now, when you are unwise, um, it's nobody's job to say, I told you so. You may be tempted. You try and give someone some wise advice. They do not go along with it. What is the first thing you want to say? I told you this would happen. Never our job to do that, because what we discover in this chapter today is that wisdom itself will be doing that job. If you ignore what's wise in this world you will find the feeling of, I should have done something different, weighs very heavily with you. And that's what we're going to see today. And there's a few questions we saw last week that sum up what a wise decision is, a few things we should ask. We should ask about any situation, who am I becoming? Not just what do I want, but if I make this decision, what type of person will it make me? We should be asking, is it God that I am fearing? So not, what am I scared of? Am I scared of being alone? Am I scared of having no money? Am I scared of losing my life? But I want to only be scared of being in the wrong place towards God. That's the only thing worth fearing. 
What would my spiritual parents have done? That is, the wise people, the wise Christians who've walked before me, how would they have reacted in this situation? And lastly, are my motivations the same as the wicked? That is to say, do I just make decisions the way that everybody in the world who doesn't know God makes them? Those are four questions about the content of wisdom. It's not magic dust to sprinkle down on tricky decisions. No, we're about to see this experience of wisdom is not just God holding our hand. In this passage, as Emmy read it to us, wisdom is turned into a woman. And she is not a sort of leave baby in the corner woman. She is a megaphone, loud, feisty, you know, gobby woman. And that's seen very positively, so that's not meant in any way pejoratively against women like that, if you are one. And really what this is spelling out to us is not what the content of wise decisions are, we've seen that earlier in chapter one, but what is the effect of not following wisdom, of not doing what is wise. And so wisdom takes on this picture, she's a woman, she's a companion, she's not magic dust to spring in difficult decisions, she is someone you walk with through life and she's calling, come, come and listen to me. And here's the first thing that wisdom we see. is easy to hear, hard to listen. My daughter, Martha, is two. She's one of the most cruelly honest people you'll ever meet. Quite often we play games around the dinner table. And we say, Martha, do you love Daddy? No. <laughs> Martha, would you like to give Mummy a cuddle? No. Well, wisdom is that sort of cruelly honest person. She uh, will not back off telling you the truth. And she says in verse 20, she's everywhere. She's yelling to you to make wise decisions. She's there in the marketplace. She's on top of the city walls. She's at the city gate. That is basically saying whatever type of business your life involves, she is there calling you. It's not difficult to find the wise thing to do. Wherever your life takes you this week, wisdom is there saying to you, listen, it's easy to work out what the prudent decision is. It's easy to work out what it means to fear God. It's easy to work out what those who went before us would have done. It's easy to work out your wrong motivations. You can do it anywhere. It's easy to find. But that's not to say she is the only voice. She's yelling out in the marketplace, in the midst of lots of other voices. The calls of the city, the attraction of the market, the defiance of the world that ignores wisdom, they're all calling too. But that doesn't mean she's difficult to find. Just there are lots of other choices of who to listen to. Well, what's this all about? Well, living the way that Proverbs describes, living this long game, thinking about who I'm becoming, respecting God, considering your elders, having different motivations, the challenge of that way of living is not working out what to do, as we often think. The challenge is that there are other voices wanting listened to. Isn't that often true? We talk about wisdom, we tend to mean, here I am facing a difficult life decision, a big 
tricky situation. I hope God gives me wisdom. It's so difficult to work out what to do. And undoubtedly, there are those moments in life that are big and complex. But most of the time, if wisdom is these four questions, what the wise thing to do is actually pretty easy to see. The problem is not the working out. The problem is there's lots of other voices we want to listen to. As wisdom says to us in her full-on, in-your-face way, she says, how long? How long will the stupid love being stupid? That's the problem here. Not that it's difficult, that you prefer doing this stuff that's not wise. Now, isn't that just true? It's not that life is really full of very difficult decisions. If your aim is to bring justice and blessing to others, if you're walking hand in hand with God, if these questions are your guidance, think about your character, fear God, consider your elders, examine your motives, in most cases what you should do becomes very clear. It's just we don't want to do it. The other voices are saying, don't think about the future, just be happy now. Oh, be scared of this person, not scared of God. Don't listen to those old people. What do they know? It's fine to live your life the way that everybody else lives it. That's why it's difficult to do what's wise. Because we just like those voices more. And this outspoken, verging on rude woman, says, How long are you going to love being stupid? Maybe you are in a relationship at the moment that someone has told you is unwise. Maybe it's a dating relationship with someone who's not free to be in a dating relationship. Maybe with someone who's not a Christian. Maybe with someone of the same sex as you. And someone said to you, I don't really think this is very wise. And you've said, well, there's no rule in the Bible against it. The Bible doesn't say anything about dating, so I think I'm okay. And they've said, well, let's think about what's wise. Who are you becoming? Where is this going to lead if you continue in this relationship? Someone very wise once said to me, all romantic relationships either end up in marriage or in breaking up. Who am I? Is it God I'm fearing? Or are you perchance pursuing this relationship because you fear being alone? You fear people thinking you're weird. What would my spiritual parents have done? These people who lived before us, in generations before us here in the UK, who lived through two wars, uh, our Christian forefathers, what would they think of us saying, oh, it's really difficult, I'll be very unhappy? What would they have done? Are your motivations the same as the wicked? Have you watched too many romantic comedies and thought life is only about romantic happiness? The wise thing to do is not difficult to work out, is it? It's just we'd rather listen to the other voices. As wisdom says, we just prefer being stupid. Here's the second thing we see about this woman. She points and laughs at our mistakes. If you feel like you're being told off, I just want to say it's not by me, but by this strong, independent woman. She says, repent of my rebuke. I'm telling you off, so do something different. And if you do, she says in verse 23, you'll gain more wisdom. 
once you wrench yourself away from all the other voices and start walking with wisdom as your companion, you'll find yourself just learning more and more what the wise decisions are without having to wrestle over them. I see this lots and lots in the ways that people talk to me. Once I ended that relationship that wasn't helping me, it became really clear to me how I could put things right with my mum. Once I decided that loving other people was more important than success, it actually really helped me get my job in perspective. Once that I clocked developing character in my kids is the best thing I can do for them at home, the decisions about what technology they should have just became much clearer. So wisdom says, if you turn and listen, once you start listening, once you start saying in this big way, I'll play the long game, fear God, consider those before me, put to death sinful motivations, you'll find it easier and easier to make wise decisions. But if you don't listen, wisdom is the companion who says, I told you so. There's four ways she says you will refuse, verse 24 and 25. Refusing to listen, <clears throat> do not, not paying attention when I stretch out my hand, disregarding advice, not accepting rebuke. If you're hard-hearted and don't accept wisdom says, you will get into trouble and wisdom will laugh. Wisdom is the I told you so friend. You will bring disaster down on your head by being unwise, and at that stage, wisdom will be no help to you. It will be laughing at you. Now, just to make it clear, wisdom is not a real person. What the writer is doing here is putting into the mouth of a fictional woman what does happen. If there's anyone here of any great age, I won't say what age I mean by that, they will tell you this. They will say, if you ignore the chance to make wise decisions while you have that chance, later on in life you will feel like what could have been is laughing at you. There are people here who are experiencing that at this moment. You talk about wisdom, thinking about the long game, respecting God, considering older Christians' advice, seeking out your own motivations... As we talk about that, there are people here for whom it's very difficult because their view of life now is, I didn't do that. And look where it's left me. This sermon feels like it's mocking me. It's not that there is a malignant real person called wisdom. Just putting our experience into words. You will wake up one day and what could have been will laugh at you if you don't make wise decisions while you can. There are some people here who know that. There are other people here at a different stage in life toying with ignoring to wisdom's call, thinking, oh, the voice of that is so strong, perhaps even saying, oh, it's so difficult to know what to do. It's not difficult. We just prefer stupidity. And if we do, someday we will wake up and we will hear people talking about wisdom and it will be like being laughed at. Sounds harsh. There's worse to come. Wisdom ignores us when we need it. If you are the kindest, most patient, godly person in the world, but there's someone 
who has consistently, angrily, deliberately ignored your best attempts to give them good advice, and it all goes pear-shaped as you said it would, and then you're lying in bed at two o'clock one morning and your phone rings and it's their name coming up on the screen, even if you're the nicest person in the world, what do you think? I think you think, reject the call. That is another way that wisdom is like a person. If you keep on ignoring her, eventually it will be too late and your attempts to do what's wise won't work. That's what she says in verse 28. If you build a pattern into your life of kicking off when people who care about you try to offer you good advice, if you keep hearing the right thing to do and steadfastly not doing it, if you continue in the world not fearing God as the utmost top thing, but fearing and honoring, respecting something else, the day will come when you want to be wise, but you can't. If you're here today and you know the wise thing to do, it's clear and obvious, and you're not doing it, be warned. The day will come when you will want to do what is wise, but you won't be able to. You'll want to get your life back on track. For some reason, something will change, and you think, oh, I ought to change, so I'm bringing blessing to others. But you won't be able to do it. You'll be stuck eating the fruit of the bad decisions you made in the past. Many, many people who have made such an almighty mess of their life who've continually just done what they wanted, get to the point of thinking, this is a mess. And they come to someone they respect and they say, okay, it's a mess now. What's the wise thing to do in this situation? And even the wisest Christian looks at the situation and says, this is such a total mess. I can't even work out what the wise thing is to do. We can call wisdom, but we won't get any reply. Or maybe it's the person who never wakes up. They make one terrible decision after another and everyone can see that they are messing up their life and everyone else's and they think, surely you will realise soon, surely they will come to their senses soon. But there's such a deeply embedded pattern of doing what feels right and ignoring God and forgetting what elders would think and never examining our own motivations, they're incapable of making a good decision. Once there was rebellion and anger at being told what to do, now it's just life. One disaster after another, bringing damage and mess and foolishness wherever they go. It's not even planned anymore. Just the person they've become. It's a difficult picture. The call of Proverbs 1 is, if you ask these questions and it's clear what the wise thing is to do, how long are you going to love being simple? It all sounds very bleak, doesn't it? We need to think for a moment about how we know God. One of the ways Proverbs describes is by looking at the stars and the ants and the slugs. And we learn things from the way the world is. It's a thing theologians call general revelation. Things that God has revealed to everyone just by looking at the world. But that is not all we have. 
Because as well as building a right and just way for the world to work into the way creation is, God knows we get it wrong. There is a God beyond wisdom. Wisdom is uh, the way the world works, talked about as a person. God actually is personal. God has a personality. And we see some things about him by seeing how creation works. We see that living in his world, his way, is the right way to live. But he knows we are too weak and too stupid and too broken and too rebellious to ever actually be wise. Someone asked me last week after the service, they came to me and said, wisdom involves not making selfish decisions, but we are always a bit selfish. We can't get away from it. It's mixed in with everything we decide, even in our best moments. Doesn't God know that? Isn't this just a counsel of despair? A burden we can't carry. Well, no, it isn't, because Jesus is better than Lady Wisdom. Lots of us in our church have read or read to our children C.S. Lewis's Narnia books. They're books about an imaginary world called Narnia that show us some truths about the way God works in this world. And in one of the books, there's a character called Edmund, and he's a traitor. He's incredibly unwise and causes a mess. And the white witch, who's really the sort of evil figure in the book, she says someone has to be sacrificed in his place or he has to die because he's a traitor. It's wisdom speaking, really. It's saying, that's fair. People lost their lives because of him. He should die. And Aslan, the Jesus figure in the books, he dies in Edmund's place. Because the witch says to him, there's a deep magic from the dawn of time, Aslan, built into the world that you can't ignore. She's talking about wisdom. Saying it's built into the way this world works that people have to get their just desserts. Wisdom is like a sort of magic. A golden thread woven throughout God's creation. Faithfulness should be rewarded. Honouring God is the right way to live. Generosity grows out of fearing God. But then Aslan, after he's died, comes back to life. And Edmund is still saved. And they say to him, Aslan, how can it be? And Aslan says this great line, there's a deeper magic from before the dawn of time. You see, when you meet Jesus after meeting wisdom, Jesus shows us that there is a God who's been doing something greater than bringing justice and fairness. And he's been doing that from even before the beginning of time. The God who is real has been doing something deeper and better and purer and more awesome from before the beginning of time. He has been three persons loving the other more than they love themselves. Before the beginning of time, there was a deeper magic, a song which the universe sings of not just justice, but the beauty of self-giving love, a deeper magic from before the dawn of time.
And Jesus, when he comes along, is better than wisdom because he, when you meet him, is that God who has been that way from before wisdom was ever there. Becoming a person, bringing that deeper magic into this creation, a creation that is wired for wisdom, but full of unwise people. And he steps in, and he always lives wisely himself, but in his perfect, deeper wisdom is reaching down for the unwise people who have messed it all up. Unlike wisdom, he doesn't stand to the side calling out, listen to me. He steps in and picks up the unwise person. He doesn't stand back and laugh at the mess we've made, our fault as it is. He cries with us over the mess we've made. He never hangs up when we call out from the mess. He says this, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And there's something even better about Jesus because there's no blame in him. He can and does take the worst, the unwisest, the most terrible decisions that we make and turn them for good. He says all things, even the unwisest things you've done, the worst things you've done will work for your good when you trust in him. Christians in our congregation, older Christians, will tell you that too. They'll sit and wisdom laughs at them, holding out the life they could have had. They've discovered that Jesus cries with them and takes the mess we offer him and turns it into something that works for good. There is a deeper magic from before the dawn of time. There is a wisdom in this world that says, fair is fair, you reap what you sow. And there is a deeper, older wisdom which says, which you won't gain by just looking at the world, and it says you are loved. Trust me, come back to me. We'll make something good out of this mess. Jesus always hears. Jesus always weeps. Jesus always picks you up and brings good out of bad. So if you're here today and you've messed up, Lazy wisdom should not be your first port of call. Before that, you need the man, Jesus. Please do not hear me saying, try to be wise now. If wisdom's laughing at the mess you've made, it's too late to try that. But do come to the one with deeper, compassionate, caring wisdom. Jesus is better than Lady Wisdom. So why read about grumpy old wisdom then, when you could have generous Jesus? Why think about this magic when we could have the deeper magic before the dawn of time? And we'll come back to where we started. Because God cares about how we live in this world. That matters to him. It's not that us being unwise foxes him. It's that being unwise shrivels us up into people who aren't really what he's made us to be here and now. It's not that God can't make something good out of something bad you've done. But he wants to say there's a better question. You can, if you like, ask the question, what can I get away with and see if Jesus will still forgive me? 
But he says, that's a stupid question. Ask wisdom's question instead. How can I flourish as a human in the world that God has made, bringing blessing and righteousness and justice in this time now? If you're ready to ask that question, you're still hearing wisdom's call. And so it's not too late to decide. But if you are, you can look at your life now and ask those questions and say, I see what the wise decision is. Don't ignore it. You'll never get far beyond Jesus' reach. Of course you won't. But you will still end up in the mess you made with Jesus crying with you. And there's a better option than that. It's flourishing, bringing rightness, justice, grace, hope to this world now. Let's choose that. Let's pray. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me, wisdom, will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Lord, we are so wayward, and we want to acknowledge today before you that's dangerous. We're so prone to be complacent, to think, oh, well, I'm different, it will be okay if I'm unwise. And we want to say today, if we choose that, it will destroy us. And we pray, whatever we're facing today, and there's such a huge variety of things people here are facing, help us listen to wisdom. Because we want to fill your world now with righteousness and justice. Let's take a few moments of quiet to reflect on what we've heard. And we have an opportunity now uh, for people to ask Morris some questions. Uh, Hopefully you'll have maybe written them down or made a mental note. Uh, But if anyone has a question, now is the time uh, to put up your hand and Morris will do his best to give you a wise answer. Kate, do I need to repeat that? Uh, uh, So it's basically, I think, if you make the wise decision and it doesn't work out positively and you're sort of hurting because you've done what's wise, where does that leave us? Because she doesn't, in this proverb, seem to leave much room for that, does she? She says, whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. I think what I'd say is... um, is two things. The first thing is, wisdom is encouraging us to take the long view. And God does promise that in the long view, particularly if you are looking eternally, that won't be a regret. So there's a famous missionary who actually lost his life doing something that everybody said was unwise, taking the gospel to an unreached people group who were known to be violent. And he said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so he's basically saying, there is some, there's a loss, but it's a loss of something that's passing for the gain of something eternal. In saying that, that doesn't stop the loss being painful. 
So I don't want to be heard of being trite at all. Well, if you look at the maternity's point of view, it's all fine. It is a painful loss sometimes, but it is much safer to be going with the way God set the world up to be than to be joining in with the wicked. And I think we've got a big responsibility to help each other there. So it's hard to be the one lone person, which, which you know, hearing wisdom's voice, but it's helped by other people saying, you've done the right thing and I'm walking this path too. And it's actually one of the places where making unwise decisions, that could have said this in the talk, actually hurts others, is if there are people really working hard to do what's wise, what's right, what's godly, and someone close to them who's a Christian just doesn't care, it, that can be very damaging and hurtful. So a, we've got a real chance to help each other there. Yeah, really great question. Could talk about that all day, but I won't. So thank you. Great question. Thanks. Some others. Yep, from the back. Yeah. Well, and that is what she says, isn't it? So there's obviously some category of wisdom about which that's true, because that is what the passage says. I think that, though, the thing that I would say is one of the reasons I think we have this category of wisdom to deal with is we need to be better at basically saying, here are the things we're asking about what's wise. That seems to me to get to this conclusion. But in the end, it's not a law. And that means I have no right whatsoever to start imposing what I perceive as wisdom on you. So I actually hope in our congregation, with the alcohol example that you give, I would hope that people who come to different conclusions on that are able to live alongside each other, basically saying, I'm not sure that's wise, and I'm not sure that's wise, but loving and learning from each other. I think that's one of the reasons we have the category, to stop us becoming a judgmental community. At the same time, I think more often than not, and I think this is what the passage is saying, is where we are sort of equivocating over something and saying, is it wise? Um, it's more because there's other voices we want to listen to rather than wisdom being very hard to find. I think there's a small category of situations that are just so complicated and difficult that, that working out the wise thing to do, and it's not for not one thing, is it? The wise sort of sphere of stuff is very, very hard. I think what this is saying is that most of the time, that's not that difficult. It's more that there's competing voices for our attention, and, and that's where we need each other to help. So yes, good note of caution, and I do want to say, and I think I said this last week, we'll say it again, part of the reason we have this wisdom category is exactly to stop the thing you're worried about. It's to stop us making up laws for each other, but to allow us a place where there's freedom to think and do and learn. So, yeah, good, good note. Mm. So is, uh, is there such a thing as godly wisdom, a heavenly wisdom? Is there uh, a more natural wisdom? Is it something head and heart? Is there a difference there? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think, um, so I think what Proverbs shows us is there is a sort of wisdom in the way the world is built that's accessible to everybody. And in fact, some of the things that are written in Proverbs, you just think that's so obvious, I'm not even sure why you bothered writing them down. You know, things like, if you cheat people, they won't like you and stuff like that. There is a wisdom that anyone should be able to see that from just living in the world, God structured it a particular way. In the New Testament, where it talks about the wisdom that Christians have, it seems to be more a sort of radical way of living that's fueled by this what we call deeper magic, <laughs> or deeper wisdom, or wisdom from before the dawn of time, where it opens up for us that there's not just a sort of like, you do this, you do this wisdom in the world, although we still have to bear that in mind, and we still need to make decisions, knowing that if we're stupid, stupidity will probably come back. 
But the way Christians behave is to love and serve and give. That's actually truly wise because God has come into the world and shown us this deeper wisdom. So I think my answer to your question is yes and no. The proverb seems to be talking about things that you sort of think everybody should know. I mean, even today I was just reading that thinking, if you make loads and loads of stupid decisions, everybody should know you're going to continue making more and more stupid decisions. Lots of people know that who aren't Christians. We need to bear in mind that's the way the world works. But at the same time, there's something different about what Christian wisdom looks like in serving others because Jesus has come. And that's a whole discussion what to have. The book of James talks about that a lot, if you want a New Testament place to start. Yeah, thank you. We should probably stop.